Uh, this morning, we want to kick off, I, I hate to say Christmas season, it sounds like football season, but to start a, a focus that, um, that we know we're all wrapped up in, because after all, we are in what is known in culture as the most wonderful what? Time of the year. Yeah, for a lot of people, it's not the most wonderful time of the year. I, I, I want to be so careful in this season because I know for many in church, many believers, we can become the Grinch that stole Christmas if we're not careful because we have forgotten sometimes what Christmas is all about. And I want to start a series, God laid this in my heart a good while back, of just the concept of rediscovering Christmas, rediscovering not just the story, because how many know that Christmas is more than a story? Yes, there are angels, there's Mary, Joseph, sheep, goats, shepherds, wise men, all the great trappings of Christmas, but it's, it's not a story, it is the story. It's the story of God coming near. It's the story of, of God coming to rescue us. It's the story of God coming to know us in a way that we, we sometimes can't fully grasp. And I hope in this season that we're going to come back to that place of getting hold of this one more time. So what I want you to do is just open your Bibles to 1 John is where we're going to jump off today. 1 John chapter 1. If you have version on your phone app, you can look there under events. You'll find Hope Church and our notes will be there, but it'll be on the screen. You really don't need that. But in 1 John, you know, I, I love Christmas. I, I, I just, to me, Christmas begins for me when the lights come on. Can I get a witness from anybody? It's when the lights happen, that's when Christmas starts. It's not when Lowe's decides in like September to start putting Christmas stuff up. Uh, it's not when they're playing Christmas music enough to make me nauseated. It, it's, it's when the lights come on. Because, you know, in Carolina, we do not do it right. I grew up around the Houston area, and we had whole neighborhoods would have competition over lights at Christmas time. You think something's big, we'll make it bigger. It was like, this is Christmas. And I always thought, dear Lord, I'm glad I'm not paying their electrical bill. You know, it was fun to see. But, but the lights are something that just remind us it's that season. It's a, it's a time for family. It's a time for family gatherings. It's a time for giving. It's a time for, for being generous to those that are close to us and those that are in greatest need. I mean, it's a great celebration. Yet for the church, it's a holy celebration. Christmas is a holy day. We celebrate the birth of our Messiah, God coming to save us. But yet at the, time, at the same time, it's a holy day. It's also the world's most famous and actively celebrated secular holiday. And because of that, we really have two celebrations going on at the same time. Millions of people around the world celebrating Christmas in two very, very different ways. And because of that, sometimes there's a divide that forms. And instead of hearing the message of the joy that Christmas brings... We can, get cost, we can get caught up and lost in the rhetoric. We can get lost and caught up in the misunderstandings that sometimes we have between those that are wanting to celebrate a, a moment of faith and those that are just wanting to celebrate Santa Claus. And it's amazing to me that the church sometimes misses a great opportunity because we're so caught up in culture. You see, I find a lot of people that don't know Jesus really, really, truly, if you get down deep inside, want to celebrate the hope that we find in Jesus Christ at Christmas. But they do it without context. The, how will they know, the Bible says, unless someone tells them? How will they know unless they see it? And yet many believers forget that at Christmas time, we are to bring good tidings of great joy as part of this Christmas story. And we turn the celebration of God with us into a culture war because some poor barista gave us a cup at Starbucks that didn't say Merry Christmas on it. Or some poor minimum wage young lady trying to work her way through college has been instructed by her employer to say happy holidays and we go off on them like, oh, come on, it's Merry Christmas, don't you know? God bless you. And we wonder why the world thinks we're the Grinch. 
when we have the best message in the world to share in the best context you will ever find. Because God says that we are to be ready always to give an answer of the hope that's within us. And sometimes we forget, church, with gentleness and what? Help me out. Respect. Why? I say it every Sunday. Because every person you meet is somebody Jesus Christ died for. Every person you meet is somebody God wants to know him. And he has paid the price. He's made the way to reconcile them to, uh, to, to Christ. You see, Christmas is a time where instead of being outraged, we need to be outgoing. Instead of outraged, we need to be sharing the traditions of Christmas that set us up perfectly to tell the world about the greatest gift that's ever been given to mankind. I mean, think about the trappings of Christmas for a second. I mentioned the lights a while ago. We put the lights on our Christmas tree yesterday. Denise got back from Tennessee, and we're like, let's get the tree ready. It's beautiful. And uh, it, the lights remind us of something that is bigger than a tree. The light of Christmas reminds us that, that really the, the world itself has to have light from the outside in order to have life. Physically, we have the sun, but to have a spiritual life, it had to come outside of us. We don't have it in us. It had to come from something else, someone else that came from Christ in us. The giving of gifts. We love giving gifts. And that's just a natural response to our Father who is a giving God, to our, our Savior who did the most stupendous act of giving in the, in the, in the history of mankind, history of the world, the universe, when he left the glory of heaven and came down to earth to be born into this mess that so often we call our lives. The concern for the needy. It reflects the fact that the Son of God was not born into aristocracy. In fact, he was a homeless refugee from the day he came onto this earth. And we forget that sometimes because the word tells us that we are to be generous to those who have been received much, much is expected from our God. And yet the, the, the very traditions of Christmas not only show us the, that, that there is this beautiful gift to us, it also speaks of our need of God. I mean, think about it. Jesus came as the light of the world because we are so spiritually blinded, we couldn't find our way to God to help ourselves. He, he came as the King of kings and Lord of lords to be mortal and die for us because mankind is too morally bankrupt to, to be pardoned any other way. We can't do enough good works to overcome the, the iniquities in our own hearts. Jesus gave himself to us, so now he wants us to give ourselves to him because we are not our own. We are bought with a price, the most precious blood of Jesus Christ. So these powerful themes at Christmas are much more than shepherds. They're much more than donkeys and sheep and, uh, and, and Mary and Joseph. These themes that are Christmas are themes that we need to rediscover and learn to share so that the world may be able to embrace the joy unspeakable and full of glory that we know and the peace that passes understanding that only comes when we find relationship with Jesus Christ. And God packaged that all up in the most beautiful Christmas present to us and said, there you go. Unwrap it, enjoy it, and then re-gift it. Give it to somebody else. Because that's really what Christmas is all about. So I want us to rediscover what it is to, to, to live out this faith in Christmas. And today I'm going to begin by teaching what I call the doctrine of Christmas. The doctrine of Christmas. Because whether we like it or not, and some of y'all are going to have to go and mend your Facebook, whether you like it or not, because of the commercial and retail implications of Christmas, it will always be a secular human festival that in the midst of it, Christians will rejoice and say, we celebrate the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And you know what? My concern is that we get caught up in the festival and we forget the true roots that are hidden from most of the population that Jesus said it's our responsibility to declare. So that's what we're going to do. So pray with me this morning. We're going to dive into the scripture. Lord, God, I'm so grateful that, God, we are in a time of the year where literally all eyes turn toward a date, God, that we know God just symbolizes a, an event, God, that is not just an ordinary event, but, God, the event that changed everything. 
God, when Emmanuel, God with us, came. Lord, the Son of God left the glory of heaven and came to this earth, Lord, to, to know us, to understand us, and also to die for us. And Lord, today, I pray that for each one of us, we would grasp the full meaning of that, the full context of that, God. And God, we would be changed forever because of your goodness and your love for us. God, I pray this in Christ's most wonderful name. Amen. 1 John is, is not a, a Christmas passage. In fact, if you've been in church long at all, usually throughout the month of, of December, we're going to always read out of Luke or Matthew's gospel because it tells a Christmas story in a good way. And in 1 John, the epistle of John, he doesn't tell us about the events of Christmas, but in, I believe, one of the most uh, concise, articulate ways, he lays out the meaning of exactly what Christmas is about. In fact, he, in these opening passages, he gives us three specific doctrines that we need to own ourselves, know, but also be able to articulate to those around us. 1 John chapter 1, pick it up with me in verse 1. It says that that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. In this, in this simple setting, in this little opening of a letter that John wrote, there are three distinct doctrines that Christmas is all about. There's three distinct truths that we build our lives around. So I hope you'll receive them into yourselves this morning. The first is this. What John is saying is that Christmas verifies and means that we are absolutely saved by grace and by grace alone. There, there's nothing we can do to earn our salvation. There's nothing that we can do to make ourselves worthy of what God has done for us. It's interesting in this passage, if you read John's gospel in John chapter 1, verse 1, he refers to Jesus as the Word. He says, the, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. But in his epistle, he goes a little further. And he identifies Jesus, the coming one, as the Word of life. In fact, in verse 2, he said he's the eternal life. Jesus is eternal life. You see, we're not being told by John that Jesus showed up and said, hey, I know the way to eternal life. He didn't show up and say, I have eternal life. Jesus showed up and said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through the Son. He embodies eternal life. He embodies salvation itself. And that one truth is hidden in every Christmas passage you will ever read, but it's unique to Christianity alone. For no other religion has this. No other religion has this. And every other major religion, the founder of that religion does this. He, he or she points to eternal life and says, it's there, but here's the path you have to walk. Here's the things you have to do. Here's the way you have to act, live, behave, and believe. But Jesus comes and says, I am eternal life. There's only one way you receive that, and that is through me. That is that we are united with him by faith that we receive the gift of salvation by grace alone, and that we know him in love, period. There's no other attainment. There's no other path. There's no other hoops you have to jump through. It's a matter of this. And, and the apostle Paul said it well in Ephesians, and a lot of us know this scripture by memory, Ephesians chapter 2. He said, it's for it is by what? Grace that you've been saved through faith, that it is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by work, so that what? So that no one may boast. We'll explain that a little closer in a moment here. You see, the good news of Christmas reminds us 
that Jesus paid it all. The good news of Christmas is God took care of everything. And he invites us to receive a gift that will change our lives, not just on this earth, but for all eternity. But yet, I still hear from people when they hear the message of grace that will say to me, Mike, I, don't, I just can't believe that. That's too easy. It's just too much. I don't know if I believe this uh, incarnation thing, this God coming to be man to, to give his life for us. And, and in fact, people will tell me, they'll say, Mike, even Christians say, Mike, I don't think doctrine even matters. Well, I'll explain in a moment why that statement makes no sense. Because what they're saying to me is, your doctrine doesn't make sense. But I have my own doctrine. And what I usually hear is this. It's not about grace. It's about me living a good life. It's me, it's me being good to my neighbor. It's me doing good things. It's me being generous. Because when I do that, God loves me. Can I tell you, God loves you whether you're being generous or not. He loved you so much, he sent his one and only son before you ever even touched foot on this earth. Before we could ever do a thing for him, God loved us. So what's happening is people create their own doctrine that is simply this. It's the doctrine of salvation by your own works. It's up to you. It's, all, it's totally on you. And what it assumes when we think that we can do that is we assume then that we are not so bad that we need a Savior. And how do we do that? We compare ourselves with others. Well, I'm better than them. That should count for something, right? I hadn't killed anybody lately. hadn't murdered. I mean, we're okay. It assumes that we're not so bad that we need a Savior. It also assumes that we're not so weak that we can somehow pull ourselves together and live this perfect moral life that God somehow has to accept. One problem. The message Christmas says that those thoughts are wrong. Because we are saved by grace and grace alone, it is confirmed to us by the Christmas message. Because you can believe all you want to that you can earn your right to heaven with God. Or you can reject religion altogether. But can I tell you, if you live your life as if God is accepting you because of what you do or who you are, I can guarantee you there's going to be some things that are going to be evident in your life. I, I can guarantee it. I can guarantee you there are going to be moments in your life that are overwhelming with fear and insecurity. Because when you think about, I've got to do enough, you're going to always deal with the question, how much is enough? I was riding on a train in, in uh, southern India to go into a city called Balari to speak at a, at a Bible college there. And in that night, in the bunks we were sleeping in, a young lady came in the middle of the night because they just throw you all together. And she was from Jersey. And uh, so we strike a conversation. I'm like, well, what are you doing here? Because it's the middle of the night. We're awake anyway. There's people all around us. And she says, oh, I'm here to go sacrifice at the temple because that's what I do. I do it once a year. And I asked her a question. I said, well, how do you know that you've done enough? And the look on her face said everything. It's like, I don't. Well, then what kind of security does that bring you? How much is enough? And we didn't get to carry on the conversation because it was chaotic. But in that moment, it just brings us back. If we live by the thought we're going to do enough, then we live with this fear and insecurity of I hope I've done enough. When Jesus came and said, I did it all, <laughs> I've already taken care of it for you. That fear and insecurity is going to show up. The other is pride and disdain for others. Because if you think you're good enough, then no one else is as good as you. <laughs> and we are really good at looking down at others that we think we are better than. And that's what happens. We become religious bigots, basically. And we look around and say, oh, well, if you were only as good as I am, then God would love you. Well, there was a group called the Pharisees in the New Testament. Go read about them. Jesus loved them, but he also rebuked them all the time because he didn't come to save the proud. He came to save those that were lost. They were weak, that were broken like us. Or the last thing that will be in your life if you're living in this salvation by works is you'll be filled with self-loathing if you feel like you failed. And guess what? You will fail because we all do. But can I tell you, Christmas has a better answer than that. 
Christmas has a better path than that. Christmas speaks of a better way because you can believe the truth of Christmas. You're saved by grace through faith alone. And when you do that, you receive the gift of a new identity. And that identity is humbled out of pride. Because when you really receive Christ, you recognize he did everything. That he counted you worthy when you were unworthy. That he saw in you what no one else could see in you. From the foundations of the earth, he knew he was going to die so that you would know God in a personal way. You see, that new identity in Christ, it affirms us and it loves us out of insecurity. We, we joke about it around here all the time. God wants to use the uniqueness of you to reveal the uniqueness of him to a unique people. And it's okay to be unique. We do some things, we're like, that, that's just who you are. That's awesome, okay? As long as Christ is the center of your life, God's going to use that to bless somebody else. But yet we get out of this insecurity because we find our security in him. And the big thing to me is this. He offers forgiveness and restoration for our failures. So when we do hit the wall, when we do transgress, when we do get caught up in, our, in the wrongness of our thoughts sometimes, our Father is there to forgive us. He said that if we confess our sin to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from not a little bit, but from all unrighteousness. Church, I'm going to tell you, Christmas is good news. It's good news that we are saved by grace through faith. That's it. It makes all the difference in the world to me because if the, if the, if the approach to eternity is salvation by works, then the stories of Jesus are only there to inspire us and to act on to imitate him somehow. But can I tell you, we can never live up to the standard of what Jesus showed us in this world. We can never love our neighbors the way he wants us to love them. We can't even love ourselves the way he loves us. And yet, if, if it's only by works, then we are going to fail trying to live up. If Christmas is just a legend where Santa and Jesus are just commingled on equal ground, in a sense, then we're on our own. We're just lost. Figure it out. I hope you can find your way. But if Christmas is factual... If the story of Christmas is factual, if it's true, as John says, he said that which we have heard, which we've seen with our eyes, which we've looked at and our hands have touched, then you can be saved by grace. What John was doing, he was giving a deposition. He was like standing before the court of eternity. He said, look, here's the truth. We've seen it. We've touched it. We've tasted it. We've been around it. And we're here to declare to you that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. That's why when the prophet Isaiah spoke about Christmas coming in Isaiah 9, 6, he said, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. It's the gift of God. It's, the, it's that reaching out to us saying, I'm going to do for you what you cannot do for yourself. So the first doctrine of Christmas that we need to learn, know, own, and then be able to share is that we are saved by grace and grace alone. That's good news, somebody. The second thing's good news, too. First thing's what matters the most, but the second comes with it, and that is this. The gift of Christmas or the story of Christmas means that fellowship with God is possible. That fellowship with God is possible. He's a God that knows us, that wants to be known by us. In, in verses 1 and 2, John kind of laid out the, the path of salvation. But in verses 3 and 4, he, he spoke about the results of it. And it's, it's right here. Verse 3 says, We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. So here's John. It'd be like me as, as your pastor writing you a letter and saying, I know something I want you to know. I've experienced something that you, you should experience also. So let me tell you, until you get it, my joy is not going to be complete. He's saying to us that believers, those who put their faith in, church, in Jesus Christ, 
can enter into the same personal communion and fellowship with God that the apostles and the others who saw and knew Jesus personally experienced. We weren't there. I'm sorry. I didn't get to be like Thomas and go, let me put my finger through the, through the holes in your hand or let me put my seed, the, the gash in your side. But you know what Jesus says about us? He said, we are more blessed than them. He said, blessed are those that did not see but yet believe. There, there's some point of honor that God has for this generation that says, though we couldn't touch, taste, see Jesus, he has done something better for us. We don't have to go find him up on the hillside. We don't have to track him down in Damascus. When we put our faith in Jesus Christ, the spirit of the living God comes and dwells, not in a church building, dwells here. He dwells with us. So in other words, I get to fellowship with Jesus all the time, not just on Sunday. I get to fellowship with Jesus everywhere, not just in a church building. Why? Because we have fellowship with our God through Jesus Christ. And again, this claim is exclusive to Christianity. Eastern religions do not grant the possibility of personal communion with God. He's just the great other that's out there that somehow we attain the place where we can commune with him. And even in the faiths that say there is a personal God, they teach that he is too far removed to be troubled with our, our little problems. We serve a God that says, cast all your cares on me, because I care for you. Who says, draw near to me, and I will what? I'll draw near to you. We serve a God that says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will be with you always, even to the ends of the earth. Can I tell you, we have a personal God who wants us to know him personally. And he says to us, come, I become flesh that you may know me. Now, if you know the Bible at all, that causes a problem. Because in the Old Testament, when you read about God, there were prophets, there were leaders that said, God, I want to see you. And God says, that's, that's fine, but just understand, it's going to kill you. Yeah, that's a great proposition, isn't it? <laughs> I'll show you myself, but you're going to die. So he always had to take them and like put them in the cleft of the rock, hide them, you know, I'm going to walk by and you'll see the afterglory, but that's about all you get, okay? But in Jesus, he came as God in the flesh. John 1.14 says this, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. In a sense, when Jesus came to this earth, he became our filter by which we see God. You know, it's, it's like, I remember from the youngest, we were dedicating a baby in the first service. Now thinking about it, what we do with our little kids. From the earliest age, one of the things we teach our kids is don't look at the sun. And we usually have this really scientific answer, right? Because it's going to burn your eyes out, okay? So just don't do it. And our kids are like, okay, Dad, great. But the reality is the sun's amazing. I mean, you go on NASA's websites and see what all happens there. But the reality is it is so brilliant and so glorious and so great, we cannot with our human eyes look at it without being damaged. Well, in the same way, our Heavenly Father is so glorious and great, we cannot even imagine all that He is. And He says, to see me, see the sun. To see me, see Jesus. I send him so you may see the glory of the one and only son who came from me full of grace and truth. In a sense, that filter allows us to know God. If you want to know God personally through Christmas, listen, it's not through generic stories, okay? It's not through just general truths about him. If you want to know God who was fully man and fully God in Jesus Christ, who divinity showed up, then experienced everything we experience as humans and yet died for us, if we want to know him, then we need to immerse ourselves in his word today because he came as the word. We need to get back in the gospels and see Jesus. Because when you see Jesus, you see a man that's not like us. 
You see a man who's full of mercy and grace that goes beyond our capabilities. You see a man that on one side can weep with those that weep and cry over Jerusalem and yet see the lost and broken in religion, the Pharisees and the Judaizers, and, and, and with rage speak to them to say you are a, a, a bunch of brooding vipers. You're like a, like a tomb that's been whitewashed. You're, you're beautiful on the outside, you're dead on the inside, and you're, you're going to eternity without me unless you change. He was a man that was passionate. But he was also a man that was caring and loving. He invited little kids to come sit in his lap. He said, this is the kingdom of God. You see, if we want to see God in the humility and the grace, we want to see God in the wisdom and compassion, then we see him at Christmas through Jesus, who came near to us and invites us into that personal relationship with him. You see, God is not content. Our Heavenly Father is not content to be a concept. I'm sorry, a lot of people know God as a concept. That's why you can talk about God socially and nobody cares. People curse him more than they speak about him. But you bring up the name Jesus, and guess what? It gets kind of uncomfortable in the room. Because he came for us. He died for us. He rose from the grave for us. And he loves us with a love we can't even imagine. See, God is not consent to be a concept or just someone you know from a distance. He bridged the gap for us. He brought at Christmas the bridge we needed to walk across and know him. And now he invites us to come near. Because you know what? As much as he's bridged the gap, we have to choose to go near to him. The Bible says if we draw near to him, then he draws near to us. See, there is a responsibility at Christmas. God, you did everything. You made it all. You, you put the gift together. You've you heard the analogy. It, it, it's like this. It's like someone coming and giving you the best gift at Christmas you ever had. And you're like, oh, it's so beautiful. I love the ribbons. I love the wrapping. You little reindeer, that's awesome. Only to come back next year in the same gift, sitting in the same place and go, what's wrong with you? I gave you a gift. Open it. We've got to open up this Christmas. We've got to open up to Christ. We've got to open up the possibilities of God in us, God working through us, Christ, the hope of glory. See, Christmas is both a challenge and a promise about fellowship with God. He says, I want you to know me. But as God has given us such a wonderful thing called freedom of will, we talked about last week, he said, I've made every step toward you, but the last one, you've got to make that step. You see, Christmas promises we are saved by grace through faith. There's nothing we can do to earn God's favor. There's no great exploit of mission or anything else that makes God love us anymore. The Christmas story tells us that we can have fellowship with God, but the last piece of this, the last doctrine here in, in, in John's epistle is one that, again, I'm going to say it just like John did. My joy will not be complete until you get this. And that is that Christmas makes joy accessible. Christmas makes joy accessible. It's a theme all through the Christmas story. I mean, the angels, they laid it out. I mean, talk about laying it out there. Luke chapter 2, verse 9, an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified, speaking of the shepherds. But the angel said to them, this is so classic, do not be afraid. That's gospel right there. Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great what? Help me. Joy for all the people. For today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah. He is the Lord. What John was saying, he was, he was just saying, guys, there is a joy that God brings that should be an evidence but more than an evidence, it should be a, a ballast of life that keeps us 
walking steadily with God, even when life is tossing us here and there, which life has a very good way of doing. Would you agree with that this morning? You see, the idea of joy to John was greatly important because Jesus embodied that joy. He was the eternal life. But he said, I've come to offer you joy. I, I always struggle with this in the old hymns, unspeakable and full of glory. I, I like the full of glory part, but can I tell you, I want to talk about joy because it's amazing. Because joy is what my life should be filled with. Jesus said it. In John's gospel, in John chapter 16, again, the theme of John, he recorded the words of Jesus. Jesus said to those closest to him, the disciples, he said, look, so with you. Now's your time of grief. He had told him he was leaving. Now's your time of grief, but I will see you again. And you will rejoice, and I love this, and no one will take away your what? Oh, but we let people take it all the time, don't we? God loves me because I'm in a good relationship right now. It's fun. Oh, we broke up. I don't know where God is. Well, somehow you replace God with that other person. That's a big mistake to make. Well, I, I'm so full of joy because I'm healthy. My kids are happy. Life is good. I only get one bad report from the doctor. Like, well, where's God? I, I, I think as a pastor, I've been doing this almost 29 years now. If I hear one more time, I'm so disappointed in God. Come on, let me get a spiritual pacifier. We're going to talk a little about that. If you know Christ for more than one day, you will understand something. Life will disappoint you. But God said, I'll never leave you. And part of the journey is understanding to see his face in the midst of those trials and saying, I will trust to believe that you are good, God. And God, you're going to see me through this. That's why we can say things like we are more than conquerors in Christ. Why? Because of the joy that no one and nothing should be able to take away. Jesus even prayed about this to his father. John 17, beautiful passage of scripture where it's the last prayer of Jesus and he's communing with the father. He's speaking about us. And he says, Father, I'm, I'm coming to you now. But I say these things while I'm still in the world so that they may have a full measure of my joy within them. Listen, careful. What he's saying is you don't have your joy. You have his joy in you. The perfect one, full of joy, full of grace and truth, now dwells in us. So he promised us that our joy would be unshakable because now we have a full measure of his joy that is reproduced in us day by day as we put our hope and trust in him. That's the Christmas message, guys. We are saved by grace. God says, I want to have fellowship with you. And oh, by the way, I've given you joy that is going to give you something to stand on when life gets hard. I'm going to give you joy that's going to be so strong that even in life's trials, you'll be able to stand and be a witness and a testimony to our great God and our Father. You see, there is a false gospel that many have bought into. It's that simple, hey, if you want to be saved, just pray this little prayer, and life's going to be awesome. How many know that's false advertising in a big way? That's ministerial malpractice right there. It, the truth is, come and receive Christ, and I can tell you this. You're still going to walk through some stuff. You're going to face some difficulties. We live in a world that is cursed by sin, but guess what? He's overcome the sin, and someday he's going to make it all right. But in the meantime, while we're here, he's with you, and he is able, and he's going to show you sometimes what he can do, and he's going to remind you that he is a faithful father, and you can trust him. That's why the little church I grew up in, a bunch of rice farmers, I mean, they, they, just, they live hand to mouth. We would have testimony. Anyone ever have testimony time in church? Come on. Come on. We don't do that these days for lots of reasons, but yeah, we had testimony time. And after I finally got past the little lady that always give thanks for the lady on the soap opera who got whatever, you know, just, you know, just, you know what I'm talking about. Then we get around to the ones that I knew. I knew them. 
I'm like, God, if I were in their shoes, I'd be like shaking a fist. And yet they stand up and say, the greatest thing in my life is I gave my life to Jesus Christ. He is my Savior. He is my God. I trust Him. And He gives me a joy that I can't even explain. In my young life, I was like, God, I want that. I want a joy I can't explain. I, I want to know what that means, God. Can I tell you, the longer you serve and the more you learn it. The longer you walk in, the more you get it. Because that joy is like a ballast in a ship. It keeps it stable when the waters of life get rough. It, it keeps it on track when the storms bash against us. And it reminds us, even in the greatest point of sorrow, our God has promised us His peace and His joy. I was, I was reading, I, I was just trying to find a unique example. I've taught on joy for so many years that if I'm not careful, it could just become another thing. And I was reading different texts about joy, and I came across a very uncommon one to me. Maybe not uncommon to you. But I, I know a lot of you really, really, really liked uh, the Lord of the Rings movies, okay? I know that, and I enjoyed them. My kids taught me about them and never read the books. But I was, I was reading about it, and, and this man named Gandalf, help me out here. Are we okay? It's better than the crack reference, okay? Got that, Mel? All right. Gandalf, we're going to have fun this week. Uh, it, it, he, he was so crushed by the weight of what was happening, right? He was so overwhelmed with what was taking place in this scenario. And I can picture this again. And my kids took me in the movies. And, and in that moment where it seemed like all was lost, and despite the care and sorrow he was experiencing, underneath it says he laughed in a great joy, a fountain of mirth enough to set a kingdom laughing were it to gush forth. And I read that, and immediately I went to Psalm chapter 1. And it reminded me what God spoke about you and I when we put our faith in him. In Psalm chapter 1, verse 3, he says, That person is like a tree planted by the streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Why? Because we put our hope and trust in Jesus. There's a joy that God wants for us that doesn't ebb and flow with circumstance. There's a joy that God wants for us that is not disrupted because somebody else does something that is not joyful to you. There's a joy that Christmas brings, this assurance of God's love and care that literally Scripture paints is like a river running underneath your life. That when you think you're tapped out, it's right there bubbling up. When you think there's not enough, it's right there to remind you it's a supply that will never run dry. When you think you're overwhelmed, it overwhelms you and reminds you that you are loved by God. You see, the truths, the doctrines of Christmas are so amazing. Saved by grace, fellowship with God, joy beyond explanation. Yet, ironically, Christmas is the one Christian holiday that somehow we miss the opportunity to bring the message right where it bears. There's a hope God has for everybody on this earth. And the context of it is not found in the trappings the world has made around Christmas. It's found in Jesus Christ. And instead of us shaking our fists, entering into a culture war over coffee cups or happy holidays, we are called to know the truth and let the truth set us free and then let us share the truth with others that they may know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. You see, I'm convinced the reason the message is so misunderstood or so misapplied, obviously, is because, again, too many Christians are fighting cultural wars and we're supposed to be ambassadors for Christ. But the second, I think, honestly, is because it's sometimes just too simple for the world to understand. It's sometimes too uncomplex. I mean, the world looks at this story and says, if God comes to earth, I'm sorry, he's not showing up as a baby in a manger. Come on. If God comes to earth, he's not coming through a, a couple and announcing a pregnancy before they even are married. Let's get real. 
If God is coming to earth, we have something much grander in our minds for him to truly be God. <laughs> you see, God has never done things ordinarily in man's minds. God has never done things simply in man's minds. The world looks at it and says, look, he was not born in a civic arena. He was born in a stable. He didn't go live in a palace. He was a homeless refugee. I mean, think about it today. If you call up your news feed after service, don't do it now, and CNN or someone says, a homeless refugee has said, guess what? I am the Messiah come from God to save you from your sins. Yeah, that's exactly how we would act. <laughs> You're like, okay, take that person, lock them up somewhere, okay? But that's what Jesus did. He came as a homeless refugee. The guests at his birth weren't A-listers. They were shepherds who could not even be trusted to be witnesses in criminal court because they were so known for being deceptive. Yet they were the witnesses. No, I would... I, do you ever play the game if I were God? Do you ever do that? That's dangerous. But if I were God, I would have done it differently. Years ago, when our kids were little, we had the opportunity to take them to an event that still to my life, I will never forget. We went to take them to see what's called the Blue Angels. Anybody got a witness of that? You know these guys at all? If you've never experienced this, it'll rock your world. You know, as parents, we take our kids, they're going, you're going to love this, but really it's us that are loving it. We're like the little kids going, yeah, you know, because they're doing barrel rolls and all that. But when we took them out, there's something happened. I'll never forget. After they'd done all their amazing um, aero, acrobatics, whatever you want to call them, which are just mind-blowing, all of a sudden the roar and the, of the engines and the, and the thunder of the earth, because made it literally shake the earth, they'd come so low, disappeared, and you'd hear this like one little puttering helicopter off in the distance. And all of a sudden everybody's looking, and finally it comes overhead, and it lands right in front of us, and all of a sudden these rock stars step out. It's the pilot's. It's not about the plane. It's about who's flying the plane. And they step out, and they got the hat on. They got the cool shades on. They got the zip-up suit on, you know. And they're doing all this stuff, and they're walking like perfect, you know. And you're like, let's not bow down. I mean, it's just these guys are like gods themselves. That's how I'd have brought Jesus into the world. <laughs> Come on. That'd been a whole lot more fun than a baby in a manger, wouldn't it? But God always has a way to confound the wise. He always has a way to reveal things in a different manner. You see, he didn't come in the blue angels. He came in a manger. Just the simplicity, not even with the bling. I mean, there's no lights on the manger. Come on, it was dark. It stunk. There were cows around, okay? But it was the manger. That's what he did. Listen, Christ came in weakness and in smallness. Not to save the proud. Christ came in weakness and smallness for those who admit they are weak and they are small and they need a Savior. That's the message of Christmas. You see, this life of Christianity that we get to live, this beautiful, wonderful life, is not about proving to God somehow we're worthy. It's not about doing great exploits, although God certainly gives us to do things and, and to share the gospel and all that. But can I tell you, His love for us is not found in that. His love for us is found that He came. He gave his life. He drew near us. And now he wants his life to bubble up in us. You see, the Christian life begins in very humble circumstances. To anyone who's ever in this room or on, on, online, remember the day of your salvation. It comes in very humble circumstances. Because basically what you're being told and what you're, being, you're hearing is, you're not all that. You're not as good as you think you are. 
There's a God that loves you, that wants to help you, but there's a humbling that comes, and that is by you saying, I surrender my life to you. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. And I say it all the time, and it's true. In that moment, everything changes. In that moment, God comes to dwell in your life. In that moment, things begin to change, but they change in a, in a simple way. They change over time. It's like that joy rising up in us because it's bit by bit as we begin to walk in the, in the faith and we do things like reading the scripture and we may not even understand it, but over time it begins to come alive in us by, by attending worship service and saying, God, I'm going to humble myself that on the first day of the week, you're going to be my first priority, God, and I'm going to worship you. It's when we daily obey him and we serve our brothers and sisters in Christ as well as our neighbors it bubbles up even when we depend on him during times of suffering it bubbles up. we don't want those times but they're there but if we know the doctrine i'm saved by grace there's nothing i can do he's done it all he loves me with an everlasting love even if i understand that my god is with me in that moment of suffering that I walk with him, I'm not alone, that I, I can talk to him, I can trust him. Just like Chad said earlier, I thought it was so beautiful, Chad, is true. There's those times where like, God, just a hug, come on, you can do it. Because I know, I know you're here, God, but there's those moments I need to know here. And I don't know about your journey, but I've found that my God is really good at that. I'm found that it's sometimes through other people, I'm found that it's other times through circumstances, but my God always has a way of showing me he loves me. Bit by bit, it bubbles up. It grows in this deep river that's under the surface. It makes me recognize there's a joy that will not be shaken. Why? Because I have an unshakable God dwelling in me. That's Christmas. You see, we want the grander. We want the blue angels. We want the big lights and the big festivities and all that comes around with Christmas brings. But I tell you, it's the simple truths of the gospel that will change your life. And it comes in a quiet way so long. I'm not a big person on Christmas carols. I'm just going to admit it right now. Heather says, Mike, do you want to sing Christmas songs this week? No. It's too early. I'm already mad at my radio station. But I've always loved this line. It's in a, it's a little town of Bethlehem. In fact, I want you to stand with me. We're going to do this together. Little town of Bethlehem. I've always enjoyed this line. In fact, I have the lyrics up on the, up on the, um, the screens this morning. Because to me, it captures why I think it is that so often the world misses this or we miss it. Because God did something very simple and silent. It was beautiful. And we get blessed by it. I, I didn't ask Heather to sing it. I figured we could figure it out. But you know, if, if I remember the tune of the song right, it goes, how silently, how silently the wondrous gift is given. You can do better than that. Sing with me, all right? So God imparts to human hearts the blessings of his heaven. I messed that up. No ear may hear his coming, but in this world of sin, where meek souls will receive him still, the dear Christ enters in. That's Christmas. He wants to enter into your life today. For some of you, he wants to enter in for the very first time. It's not that he's not been there. You just haven't recognized him. That's what salvation's about. It's not that God showed up one day and recognized you. 
He's known you from the beginning. He has pursued you from the moment your little feet touched the earth. But what salvation is, is the moment you recognize him. And you invite him in. The dear Christ enters in. And that's very simply done. It's in a moment of just surrender. I told you all ago it was humbling. I remember my day. I remember the day. I can see it. Back then we had altar calls. We're gonna, we were going to make you show your humility. We we're going to make you walk to the front. Never could figure that one out. I think that the old baptism is public enough. You know, we're going to dump you in water later. But for me, it was the old-fashioned. Come up in front of everybody. I'm like, but I'm a good boy. Yeah, but you're not good enough. But I still remember it. Because the moment I said, Jesus, I need you. Come into my life. I will never be able to explain it. I just can't. I've studied every which way you can. Something happened. I'm not saying the blue angels came over. Something happened. And a peace and a security came over my life that I'd never had felt before. Was I still a mess? Yes. It took a lot of walking out to walk the mess out. Still walking it out. But in the midst of that, I knew that I knew that I knew that my God loved me. And that's what he invites you. He says he wants to come in. For others, you may be walking with Christ, you may have for a long time, but you know there are areas of your life where you've not let him in. You're stiff-arming. You're like, Lord, you can have everything else, but not in my relationship. Got you everything else, but I don't trust you with my kids. Got you everything else, but don't touch my finances. Got you everything else, but don't touch my entertainment. Maybe this Christmas is the moment you invite him, really. <laughs> you open the door fully and say, you have the run of the house, God. Whatever you want, it's all yours. Wherever you find yourself at Christmas, remember this. God wants us to own it, and then God wants us to give it away so that others may know him as well.